I am Justin Conway. If we haven't had a chance to get to know each other yet, I get to be our worship pastor here at church. That's why the comment beforehand was self-serving about our worship team. Uh, But for today, I get the privilege of bringing the message. I'm honored. I'm always supremely humbled to have the privilege of doing this. I want to thank our pastors for giving me the chance, but I also want to take a moment for maybe us to celebrate them. You see, last Sunday was what we call Celebration Sunday. We had Pastor Whit Toland in here from the church on 68. Amen. And if you weren't here, I encourage you, find that message on our website or on YouTube, because I do believe it was more of a prophetic word, a prophetic word for our church. And I even think, thinking beyond just ourselves, our generation, because Pastor Whit taught us about honor. And I think honor is at a short exchange in our currency of our culture but also we had a chance to celebrate 33 years of what God's done here in the Rock Church we also celebrated this week 41 years of marriage for our beloved pastors so I began to look over their time card and I saw that they'd logged 33 years of service so I figured I'd give them a little vacation time today so come on can we thank our pastors and wish them well we love you Pastor Kirk and Suzette They're going to be back very soon, and they'll be preaching the message here in just a couple of weeks. But uh, I want to promote one more thing before getting started in my message, just as the next big thing was telling us. Coming up on November 13th is what we really call Next Steps Sunday, and it mentioned the value of starting point happening at 5 p.m. that night. But there is something important happening that morning. It is Baptism Sunday. Now, amen. Come on, somebody. It's a great day. I'm actually going to preach a little bit today about baptism, but I do want to promote this for just a moment. I have the privilege of seeing some of the numbers that happen in our services, and this year alone, already, we've seen around 300 people make a decision for Jesus. Now, that's a public decision. That's a hand raise. There's many private decisions that I think we're making all the time. You see, we can receive Jesus in a public space like this. We can receive Jesus in the car. We can receive Jesus face down on the couch. We can receive Jesus in our prayer closet. That's a very private, personal decision. But the importance and significance about water baptism is that we don't just want to keep it within ourselves. We want to share it with people. I love that as Jesus taught us throughout the Gospels, He would preach messages that were important. He would tell stories that were important. But in the place of baptism, he actually didn't just speak about it. He got in and did it himself. Jesus did not have any sin to wash away. He did it as an example to us, as a posture of humility, as a posture of praise to our Father. So I think what Jesus commands me to do and what Jesus shows me to do is something that I should do. So if you're one of the ones who has made a recommitment, You want to hang a mile marker at this moment, and you want to say, that's when things changed in my life. The place of water baptism is a beautiful place to hang that. If you have just accepted Jesus, I'm not telling you that this is a next step. I'm telling you that this is the next step. So I hope to see you in the water on November 13th. Hey, we are in a rock group series, and we are studying a book together called The Proving Ground. It's by Pastor Kevin Gerald, a good friend of our church and of our pastors. And in the proving ground, it is nine different tests that are going to come at us in life. Pastor Kirk, just a couple weeks ago, got us started test number one about the value of small things, the importance of small things. 
And in week number two, he tested and talked about our motives and our motivations. Well, I'm going to take us today to test number four. It's called the wilderness test. What is the wilderness? What is the wilderness? You know, I think in western North Carolina, we have the privilege of being around some beautiful wilderness. So for us, maybe the wilderness is a beautiful place. We drive by it when we're on our way to work. The leaves are changing. It is gorgeous. Some of us like the wilderness so much, we like to camp in it. Miss Tina would prefer to glamp in it, right? It's more like a hotel in the wilderness. (laughs) Amen. But if I were to go across the country... Their wilderness would not look as much like beautiful leaves changing. It would look like a desert. If I would go further down south, maybe some of that wilderness would be marshland and swampland that would be hard to navigate and hard to live in. If I were to go further up north, maybe my wilderness would be filled with fields of ice and snow. What I'm trying to say to you is that no matter what wilderness you might be in or what wilderness that I might be in, what we might be facing today The universal truth of our lives is that no matter how good you are, no matter how blessed your life is, no matter how good things are going, you are going to go from seasons of blessing to seasons of wilderness. We're all going to encounter loss. We're all going to encounter hardship. Jesus says in those moments to take heart because he's overcome the world. He has already completed everything for us. But today... We're going to find out that when we're in the midst of the wilderness, what can I pull out of my arsenal to help me survive the test? Let's look at a few passages of Scripture. Let's start in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Y'all didn't realize I was a voice actor. Amber says I'm terrible at impressions, but I, that could be God. I don't know. That could be a God. Let's look at chapter 4. Let's turn the page of Scripture here. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting, get this, 40 days and 40 nights. How many of y'all know that's a long time to fast? Maybe some of y'all have done something like that. If you have fasted for 40 days, you take this microphone out of my hand right now. I will let you preach. Sometimes we get into a 21-day fast as a church, and I'll try to do something like the Daniel fast. I'll try to model it. After about day four, I'm convinced that Daniel ate at Subway every meal. Amen? I tell you, when you eat at Subway, you might not literally be going into the fiery furnace, but you'll sure smell like you were there. Amen. Now, I love what Scripture does right here. Is it says that after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you. Thank you, God. 
deep. Some of us are about that level deep in our Christian. Yes, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become Italian herbs and cheese bread. I mean bread. Italian herbs and cheese bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And now the devil speaks scripture at Jesus. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus responded back, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Let's pause right there for just a moment. The devil has always wanted your worship. He's always wanted your attention. He's always wanted your first reaction. Okay? Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Church, within the turn of a page of scripture, Jesus goes from baptism to battle. From the river water of the Jordan to the wilderness in Israel. From a place of perfect blessing to a place of tremendous testing. Will you help me today proclaim the title of my message? I know this is your favorite part of sermon where you turn to your neighbor and you say this with me. From blessing to testing. Go ahead and say it to a neighbor today. From blessing to testing. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, sorry, you were not my first choice. <laughs> Amen. I see stuff on social media all the time. They say my least favorite part of church is when they say, turn to your neighbor or say amen. And I'm saying I have the microphone. So turn to your neighbor and say, get over it. <laughs> amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Amen. This is going to be a good day. We're having, we're having a good time today. So in our passage of text, Jesus, he goes from hearing from his father, from the blessing of heaven to the testing of his adversary. From moments where the heavens are opened and he says, wow, Father, to moments where I'm sure he says, where are you, Father? I think if we're not careful, these chapters in Scripture can get us a little bit confused. We started in chapter 3. And if you're in a Bible plan or if you have a, a really nice Bible, then maybe that's like a page of Scripture that says the baptism of Jesus. And you read it and you get blessed by it. It's beautiful. And then you go and you get a cup of coffee and you take a commercial break. And then you pick back up in chapter 4. And it says the temptation of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can read these as isolated events. But the thing that's so important is these, these events are not independent of one another. These events are interdependent on one another. Let's look at how Mark words it in his gospel. Marky Mark. He says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. 
You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Check this out. Read this word. Immediately the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. The tension of this story is not that Jesus got baptized and then maybe months later or years later got tempted. No, the tension, the rub of this story is how quickly these things transpired. How quickly he went from the water into the wilderness, from the blessing into the testing. Somebody say this with me on the screen. The tension is in the transition. The tension is in the transition. It's the transition of immediacy from going from the river to the desert, from the blessing right into the battle. The Bible in a year plan, Nicky Gumbel, early on in the plan, he, he writes this. He said, I have never forgotten a talk I heard over 30 years ago. The speaker started by saying that the Christian life is a battle and blessing, 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 say it with me, battle and blessing, battle and blessing. You, you knew where I was going. At the time, Nikki writes, he said, why is he going on like this? What's the point? Will it ever end? But the speaker was making a memorable and profound point. When we are in the midst of a battle, it is hard to believe that it will ever come to an end. And when we're in the midst of blessing, we never want it to end. But the reality, church, of our life, if we want to be anything other than fair-weather Christians, the reality of the situation of our life is that every blessing will come to an end and a battle will begin. And that battle will end and another blessing will begin. And that blessing will end and another battle will begin. But I'm here to tell you, we have some tools this morning to carry with us. Amen. Pastor Rick Warren, who is who was and is the founding pastor of Saddleback Church. They just transitioned the church really in the last few months. But Pastor Rick Warren years ago wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And besides the Bible, if you look at Lifeway Christian book numbers, uh, The Purpose Driven Life is the second best-selling Christian book of all time. And when Pastor Rick put that out, it was in a season of tremendous blessing over his life. All of a sudden, people wanted him to speak at their churches. They wanted him to come to their conferences. Book sales were out the roof. What are you doing, God? This is incredible. At that same exact moment, his wife received a cancer diagnosis that was a near impossible season to walk through. He went from blessing immediately to testing. I've got a heavy story for you. I, I have a friend that I worked with at a restaurant in Johnson City. And we, we have been buddies for a long time. I've noticed his social media a lot this week because last Saturday, him and his father went to the Tennessee-Alabama game. Come on, where's Chris Key? Go Vols, baby. Come on, son. Tennessee-Alabama. First time we'd beaten them in 15 years. You talk about a wilderness, right? But it was great celebration. And he showed pictures of him and his dad. They were laughing. They were crying, hugging. They were celebrating victory. They were storming the field. I was so excited for him to share that with his father. Well, this past Friday night, 
His father is a skydiver slash parachuter. And in East Tennessee, at some of the local football games, a parachuter will come down with a football and they'll put it on the 50-yard line. And it's just a big, it's just a fun celebration. His father had done that hundreds, if not thousands of times. It was a passion, is what he did. This particular Friday night, something malfunctioned with his parachute and it did not go well on the field. Uh, his father passed away that evening. That's a heavy story. But I want to tell you the immediacy of blessing and testing. I bet if I were to ask each of you, you'd have similar testimonies. Maybe not something maybe as graphic sounding as that might have been. But you would have moments where you'd say, Pastor Justin, I have literally went from feeling like God has moved so mightily in my life to, Lord, how am I going to survive another hour, another day? Where are you, God? It is those moments like Jesus experienced, like, wow, Father, to where are you, Father? Well, in this text, we see our hero, Jesus, going from hearing the voice from heaven to the voice from hell. Consider this. Let me present it to you this way. Sometimes the things that we are so sure about in the blessing can shake us so much to our core during the testing. In the moments of blessing, we can be so sure that we're called and sure that we're anointed and sure that this is the direction of our life. But in the moments of the testing, it shakes us down so hard, we don't think we can fathom how to go on. So many of you, you have other careers. You have other jobs. My career, my job is ministry and when I'm healthy and when the team is healthy and when the church is growing and when things are happening and my little boy's growing up and my wife is healthy I'm like thank you Lord like this is incredible I feel so secure in my calling this is what you've meant for me to do but I tell you when a pandemic hits and when your pastors get sick and when you go through hard personal situations and when friends and people leave your team and leave your life and leave the church and whatever and whatever and whatever, that moment of, of adversary, that moment of testing can shake you to your core like, do I even want to do this anymore? I think our whole culture has been in that for a few years. At first it was called the great resignation. Some of those moves happened for good reasons. But I heard Pastor Craig Grishel talking recently about how it's becoming more of, the, of a great regret. There are people now who left situations that they were so desperately wanting to get out of because out of hard that season of wilderness was in their life that now they're looking back on it and said, maybe, maybe I made a decision in a storm. Sometimes we can go from calling to quitting. We can go from, I'm at a good place of forgiveness to instant bitterness, from feeling on fire to feeling burnt up and burnt out. Somebody say it with me one more time. The tension is in the transition. I want to tell you it's amazing that the ultimate path to fulfilling our purpose on this earth, and I believe that all of our purposes are ultimately pretty similar. Your job might be different than mine. Your family might be different than mine. But I believe that as Christians, we want to live our lives for God. We want our life to matter. We want to pass down something that's going to cause us to be remembered, whether that's through people that we loved or neighbors or children or grandchildren, whatever the case may be, we want our life to mean something and go on beyond ourselves. So it's amazing that the path for all of us, that that path to purpose is always going to go from the water to the wilderness, from the blessing to the testing. 
our GPS, God's positioning system in our hearts. We don't want it to, but it takes us, come out of the water, take an immediate left into the wilderness, be frustrated. I want to look for a second at what happened with Jesus in the water. Let's look back on the scripture. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Would you do a little exercise with me? Could you close your eyes for just a moment? Let's imagine what that scene must have been like. The River Jordan, people on the riverbanks, John in the water, Jesus comes forward. There's whispers in the crowds. Do you know who that is? I've heard rumors about him. He steps foot in the water. He gets baptized. He humbles himself. It's our Lord. It's God in flesh. It's Jesus. He goes under. He comes up. All of a sudden, the skies are opened. All of a sudden, there's an audible voice of pride. What a beautiful moment. If that was a movie and you were watching it in a packed-out theater, because really, I mean, that's the salvation. That's, that's, that's the goal of life right there. That's your Lord and Savior, Jesus, doing something so beautiful and so wonderful. That's one of the highlights of the movie. You'd be tempted to stand up and start clapping at how glorious that scene was well I started thinking about that story this week this will show you how spiritually deep I am when I was reading it I thought about Avengers Endgame (laughs) I love it Dennis bought me an Avengers shirt with all the heroes they were sitting with Jesus at the last supper I love it Dennis I love it but I thought about Avengers Endgame and I, and I watched it on opening night, and sorry, spoiler alert, it came out three years ago, so I'm going to tell you something that happened in it. But there's a part in the movie, and the, the theater's packed, and Captain America picks up the shield, and it's cracked and broken, and he's bleeding, and Thanos and his army are on the other side, and it's basically just Captain America with the shield, and all of a sudden, the heavens <laughs> opened up. Doctor Strange is like doing the thing with the thing, and all of a sudden, a voice from beyond says, Captain, on your left. And then Falcon and all the ones that had blipped, they're coming from the sky, and here they are. Now they're lined up with Captain America. They're across the field from Thanos and the theater. They're just like, whoo, yes. So what we've been waiting for. That beautiful moment, though, happened before the battle. It happened before any casualties. Rest in peace, Iron Man. Sorry about that. It's too soon. Maybe too soon. Sorry. Sorry. But it happened before the battle. Jesus' baptism is significant, not just because what is occurring, but because what is spoken from heaven and when it occurred. You see, in all four Gospels, they cover an account of Jesus' baptism. In all, in all four Gospels, they only cover the account of Jesus' birth in two of them. So you're telling me that with Christmas, they talk about it twice, but with baptism, they talk about it four times. I'm here to tell you that on November 13th, that next step Sunday, that's a bigger day than Christmas Eve. So come on, get involved on that day. Amen. Come on. It's important. But it's not just that Jesus chose to humble himself and get baptized, but what the Father speaks to him, let's look at it. The Father from heaven says, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Do you realize that these words are spoken at this moment for a reason? This is before Jesus started his ministry. 
This is before the wilderness. This is before the miracles. This is before raising people from the dead. This is before feeding 5,000. This is before the Garden of Gethsemane. This is before the cross of Calvary. This is before the resurrection. There are a hundred points in the life of Jesus when he's walking on water and when he's ministering to people where God could have chosen to open up the heavens. What about in the garden where he's praying so hard that drops of blood are falling from him? Couldn't God have opened up the heavens in that moment and said this? No, God chose to say it before any of that that mattered because it wasn't about Jesus's perfection. It wasn't about his performance. It was about his posture in the water. It was about his life being open to being used by his father where he looks down and says, you are my son. I choose you. I love you. I am pleased with you. Isn't that good news today? Because if it happened in Jesus's life before he would go on, of course, to be God, if it happened in Jesus' life at the beginning, before he had done anything to earn it, I'm grateful that it can happen in my life that same way. Because Lord knows, I don't mean this personal, but you and you and you and you and you and you and, you and me, we deserve hell. On my very best day of my life, when I am at peak fitness and health, I will never live up to the standard of the word of God. If I ever could, we wouldn't need Jesus. I'd just be a motivational speaker that would help you live like my best day was. But no, every single day of my life, no matter my performance, I continuously deserve hell. But I'm grateful that I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm grateful that instead of it, God would choose to look down on me and give me a word that I can hang on to through every battle, through every storm. And I know that he means it when he said it because I didn't do anything to deserve it. I know that he means it when he said it because he said it when I was far from perfect, when I was far from performing, just because of the posture of my heart. He said this before the wilderness. I hope you write this down. This is a big thing. It's not going to be on the screens, so you have to listen. Sometimes we seek a word in the middle of a storm that we should have been listening for in the sunshine. When we're in the wilderness, sometimes it's too late. When we're in the wilderness, it's when we're going to the prophetic night, right? When we're like, oh, Lord, I'm struggling. I need something. I need a word. Help me to know the next six months of my life. Sometimes when we're in the middle of the storm, it's too late to learn what we should have known before, what we should have been listening for in the season of blessing. You see, in that place of baptism in the water, the water and the word and the affirmation of God, it washes over us. But in the wilderness, that has to come out of us. In baptism, it washes over us. Pastor Jeremiah preached that at Rock Youth. It washes over us, but in the wilderness, it must come out of us. It's one of those situations where it says what we know in the bottom of our heart. What I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. You spoke this in blessing. I'm going to carry it into the test. So that when the enemy would swirl around me and try to deter who I think I am or what I'm meant to do. Or would try to lie to me or would try to steal my destiny or would try to steal my future. That I'm not looking for something. I already have it. I just speak back to him what I already know in the depths of my heart. That God does love me. That I am enough. And that no matter what I feel, the truth of the word of God is greater than any facts. 
Let's put this on the screen, and I hope you take a picture of it or write it down. I am loved, I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. Will you say that with me? I am loved, I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I am loved, come on, I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. We're going to say it until we know it, until we feel it, until it's so deep within us that we can repeat it. I am loved, I am a child of God, he is pleased with me. What if you wrote that on your mirror tonight? So that in the morning when you woke up and you looked at yourself and you're distracted and your mind is already racing and you already don't don't feel good enough, you can look at that and you can say, no, 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 no. I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. Come on, what if you got a tattoo? Uh, what if, I don't suggest you do it, but if you ever got a face tattoo, then maybe it should say, I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. What if you went to Starbucks in the morning and instead of telling them your name that you know they're going to misspell anyway, you tell them that today my name is, I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. What if you got home on social media and instead of talking about student loan forgiveness and Biden and Trump and anything else that frustrates you, you delete, 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 delete. I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. And maybe you take one moment that that person that you're frustrated at, you say, they're also loved. They're also a child of God and he is pleased with them as well. Can we lift up an amen for that? That came out more intense than I thought. What if we filtered, you're going to watch first service, you're going to say, he did that same thing. He, he just lied to us. What if I filtered every situation in my life through that lens? So in those moments when you don't feel good enough and when you don't feel as respected as you should or you get that offense built up in your heart, you say, no, no, I'm going to stop that. I am loved. What if when the world is trying to give you just a complex of how underweight you are or how overweight you are or how young you are or how old you are, what if you said, he is pleased with me? And what if situations happen where you feel so alone and that best friend that you thought would never leave you has left you and that relationship with that father or mother feels strained? You say, I'm going to drown that out for just a moment. I'm going to say, today I am a child of God. You see, Jesus needed to hear this before the wilderness. You and I need to hear this, to remember, to repeat this, and to receive this before the test. The Israelites, if you read the Old Testament, they had a generation of slavery in Egypt. It was not their destiny. It wasn't where they were supposed to be. God wanted to bring them out of that into something better. But for the Israelites to leave, what did they have to go through, Mr. Gerald? They had to go through the water. It was in that moment of the water where every preconceived notion of who they were, Pharaoh called them slave, God called them free. People have called them filled with poverty, God calls them filled with plenty. God had an 11-day journey for them to come to the promise it took them 40 years, but how many know sometimes it takes us 40 years to figure out something that could have taken 11 days. But they had to get through the water. They had to get through that moment where God was changing their identity before they could even stand the wilderness. They were in the wilderness for 40, day, 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. God likes symbolism. God likes beautiful, poetic balance. God also likes 
blessing and testing. I think if you could grab that idea today, it would be life-changing. That the promises spoken to you in blessing will help you survive the testing. Please don't wait until the storm to start saying what you should have said all along. Anybody know Kobe Bryant? You know Kobe, great basketball player, tragically passed away a couple years ago. In January 2020, he got into a helicopter with some family and friends. The helicopter hit stormy weather, fog and clouds, and it was chaotic to say the least. Now, in the days and the weeks and the months that followed his crash, a lot of people wanted to find out, well, who was on the aircraft and and what was happening? What could have avoided the collision? What could have saved their life? And analysts from around the country started to analyze. And it said that the pilot had training that when you get into the midst of fog and clouds, that you need to go up. Let's read. But rather than continuing up, The pilot began a high-speed descent and turned left rapidly into rising terrain. He slammed into the hillside at more than 180 miles per hour, descending at 4,000 feet per minute. If you exit the bottom of the clouds at 4,000 feet per minute, you've lost control. He said that if Bryant's chopper could have just emerged from the clouds, they were only 12 seconds or roughly 100 feet from coming up above the chaos. He says, the pilot was in an emergency. He was in something he didn't expect to happen that day, something he wasn't planning for. And instead of reacting in what he knew to do, what he had been trained to do, what he felt like he should do, he let the emergency tell him what to do. The emergency said, go down And they said 90% of the time when you go down, it's catastrophic. The writer writes, though, once you break up out of the clouds, everything's clear. Your body lines up, and now you have a new horizon to fix your eyes. Let's look at this on the screens. Don't make a decision in the testing that you're going to regret in the blessing. I wonder today... If you really held on to that, if you really held on in the know of the know of the know of your knower, that when you hit the storm and the enemy would try to tell you who you are and would try to tell you to go down, that you would say, no, I'm going to keep my eyes up to heaven. I'm going to keep my heart posture up to heaven. I'm going to keep my prayers and my words and the ways that I react and the things that I say and the places that I take this pain to because I might be in the midst of the fog, but I very well could be a hundred feet away from breaking. I very well could be just 12 seconds away if I would keep going up. I want you all to keep going up. Say it with me one more time. I am loved. I am a child of God. He is pleased with me. So we've talked about the blessing of the water. We've talked about God's promises. And we've talked about carrying those into the storm. What makes the testing of the wilderness, so scary and so hard to endure. I believe it's rather simple. I believe that when we're in the water, we've heard from God, we feel like he loves us, like he's proud of us. When we're in the wilderness and we're not hearing that same affirmation 
and actually what we're hearing is the voice of the enemy, we feel like he has left us. So we feel blessed in the water and we feel left in the wilderness. But I wanna challenge you today that maybe we think about blessing wrong. I think our generation especially has, has relegated blessing to things like, I got a check in the mail. I was running empty at payday and I got a check in the mail from a friend. God must be proud of me. I must be doing well. I got a raise at work. I got the new house and the new car I'd been praying for. I got the spouse of my dreams right when I prayed for them. I got every healing I ever prayed for. We've relegated the blessing of God to those instant moments where we feel like we've done a good job and we feel like he's proud of us. And we think about the wilderness and we think he's mad at us. He's disappointed. We've done bad. He's left us. But Jesus' life is proof positive that the approval from heaven does not absolve you from the attack from hell. Perhaps when you leave the water of the blessing of the wilderness, what you're going to see is that you're not being tested because of something you've done wrong. You might be being tested because you're doing some things that are right. Okay, God might not be mad at you. He might be overwhelmingly in love with you and pleased with you. Your life might be moving forward. The enemy will not attack things that are stagnant that he already owns. Why would he do it? He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not everywhere at once. He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So if there are things that are doing well that are moving forward that he can devour, that's who he's coming after. If your car stays in the garage, you're not going to hit a pothole. You're not going to get a flat tire. But if your car is out on the road and your life is moving forward, you might experience some setbacks. But it's not because you're doing wrong. It's because you're choosing to do right. When you make a move from God, hell gets nervous. Jot this down with me today. The approval of heaven attracts the attack from hell. The approval of heaven, it attracts the attack from hell. King James Version writes this in a beautiful way, Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's no human that's your enemy. It's against principalities. It's against powers. It's against rulers of the darkness of this world. It's against spiritual wickedness in high places. The approval of God on your life is the reason you're going through something. I'm getting a lot out of this today. I hope you are. I hope that this is helping you. But you know, when I read this story, ultimately I like it. But you know what I don't like about this story? Is I don't like the order of operations. I don't like that the blessing came first and the testing came second. What I would like to happen is while Jesus was in the wilderness, that's when the voice came. You know, I'd love to see Jesus in the garden where he's saying, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Don't let this happen. I'd love to see God just openly talk to him and, and ease his mind. But that's not how it works all that often, does it, Michaela? That's not often how it works. A lot of times how it works is we're fighting the enemy in the middle of that wilderness. But what I'd prefer to see is I'd prefer to see the Holy Trinity coming down to attack Satan, to defeat him. But they'd already done that. They'd already promised us that. We would make it. We would be blessed. We would hold on to truth. And I'm so grateful that God doesn't always move in the exact way that I want him. As I think the world would be perfect, but it'd actually be a pretty messed up place. God sees the whole story. Sometimes I can't see past lunchtime. 
I used to tell students that, that a student taught. I said, the teacher knows the plan of the day. He, they know what, what they want you to receive and learn. But the students are sitting there wondering if we're having chicken nuggets or pizza. And why did the pizza always have to come with corn? I don't understand. That's not a combination. But I love that Jesus sees the whole story. He gave us the ammunition, not just the antibiotic. He gave us the power to win every battle we would ever have, not just one battle. He doesn't step in to remove us from, but rather to improve us through our pain. Can we look at this on the screen? He may not always remove us, but he will always improve us. Yesterday, I took my dad to the Tennessee game. He's turning 65 years old. We've loved the Vols our whole life. We just go to the games. We've went countless times. And when my dad was 18 years old, his mother passed away. He had come home from work. He was working night shift at the plant. And his father, when he walked in the door, he said, go and get your mother. It's time for breakfast. He walked into the bedroom to wake her up. And what he found was that she had passed away at 40 years old of a heart attack. I believe that my father would have preferred to have a mother. I believe that he would have preferred for his mother to be at his wedding, for his mother to know his children. I think he would have preferred to watch her grow old. I think he would have preferred to take care of her in her old age. But for whatever reason, that wasn't the story. But I will tell you something that my dad did in the middle of that storm that not only changed his life, but changed generations that would follow is my dad said, that's the hardest situation of my life. But what I learned in it was that I'm never going to go to bed angry at my spouse or at people that I love. And when I see them and I feel appreciation and love for them, I'm going to tell them because I've literally stood over my mother's body and realized that you're not promised tomorrow. That story didn't just save my father's life. It didn't just improve him and save his life. It got passed to me and my sister. It's changed the way that we treat people. It's changed the way that we encounter and interact with people. It's coming forward from me today to you. It could help you. My father's obedience and remaining in the testing, allowing it not to destroy, but to improve him, shaped generations. Sometimes, Byron, we're being blessed because of the test. My sowing is sometimes equal parts my reaping. It's not just the visible fruit that's coming to me. It's the invisible fruit that's building up the inner man. <laughs> I'm going to close out. I could go on. Y'all got six more hours? Anybody? No, just kidding. While we should never stay in the wilderness because God doesn't intend for us to live there, I hope today what I've shared with you helps you not be as scared of the wilderness. Maybe helps you look at that season a little differently and gives you a little bit more ammunition to pounce back at the enemy when he would try to deceive you. The same spirit of God, Ryan, that was proud of Jesus in the water is the exact same spirit that led him into the wilderness. God leads us in the water. He leads us in the wilderness. The enemy might be waiting there for you, but we have some ammunition. Let's look at three quick points. I'm not going to elaborate on them, but I do want you to take a picture of them or write them down. When the enemy comes at you, you remember whose you are. 
I am his child. He is pleased with me. When the enemy comes at you, point number two, you must remember where your help comes from. Jesus responded back with scripture. My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heavens and the earth. You might be telling me that I'm one thing, but I already know because I've read the good book, what God has to say about me. And finally, point number three, you must remember what is at stake with your obedience, with you lasting through the test. Just like my father, it doesn't just end in you. Your pain that shaped you, the lessons learned, the blessings received, if you let it stay in you, it dies in you, Joe. But if you let God use you, if you take that posture of God, use my life, then it can bless generations. It can save the lives of many. You are loved. You are a child of God. He is pleased with you. Can we pray together this morning? Father, my overwhelming desire is that you be glorified, is that people would think of you different today, that if we are standing here in the middle of a season of wilderness and of testing, that we may respond with the truth of your word, that we may have a vision and a heart that actually goes upward with our thoughts and with our prayers, that we might only be 12 seconds away from something new and that generations can be impacted by us staying the course. Today, church, if you are saying, I don't even know this Jesus, I like this story, this is amazing, I, I think I want him to be Lord of my life, it is simple. All we do is we pray a prayer. This is that private, immediate decision to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. If that's you, I just ask you to raise your hand in this space. This is not a hand raising saying how big of a failure you are, but it's saying that while we have failed, we serve a God who never will. Maybe you're in this room and you're one of the ones we spoke of earlier who is making a recommitment, a rededication of your life. You say, Pastor Justin, I've been in the wilderness for what feels like 40 years. I'm ready to turn my life over to God. I'm ready to trust him. If that's you and you wanna make a recommitment in your faith today, also just lift your hands. Again, it's just a posture of our hands and our hearts to heaven. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I open up my life to your love, to your Lordship. I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know that I've sinned, I've messed up, but I come to the cross where you have paid the price for my salvation. Today is a fresh start. It's a brand new horizon as I surrender to you. Help me become the person that you have created me to be. In Jesus' name, come on somebody, let's say amen all across this room. Hey, would you stand with me? You're going to be dismissed. Head on out to Pastor Appreciation Station if you haven't already. If you've received Jesus, we want to help you. Let somebody know. I love you so much, church. Hey, on the count of three, can we just say thank you, Jesus? One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Have a great day.